everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland here, uh, Director of Freight Market, Market Intelligence. You wouldn't know it, by the way, that that came out, but uh, with Anthony Smith, Lead Economist. Uh, and this is the show uh, where we discuss the freight market in combination with the greater macroeconomic environment and intertwine the two. And hopefully uh, everyone leaves a little bit more knowledgeable about the world around them. So Anthony Smith, today we've got, this is, this is going to be the Anthony Smith show today because we're talking about something that's right up his alley. Uh, in terms of interest rates, we, turn, we hear interested. a lot. Yeah, are we interested? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hear a lot about uh, interest rates increasing, decreasing. You know, I, you know yes, I've, I have a working knowledge of what that means uh, to the economy and and subsequent asset valuations and things like that and how we can spend our money. But what does that mean for the freight market the econo- and the freight economy moving forward uh, as the Fed sitting there trying to combat that inflation, inflation, yeah. inflation? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a little commercial that we play from time to time. Right. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about that, uh, the interest rates, what it might mean for the economy. Really, I think, how it's going to, of course, impact the freight markets because this is freightonomics after mm-hmm. all, but also looking at what it's going to mean for the overall economy. Are we in a place to accept interest rates? What do they look like? What's the purpose of them? Have they been used in the past? Is this time we need different? There's a lot of different implications that we have to kind of look into mm-hmm. to see what's in the mind of Jerome Powell. Maybe we can get Jerome Powell up on here. Yeah, let's call him up. I'm sure he's available. He doesn't have, not busy. Doesn't have things to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean, and and you know, We'll get to that here in a little bit, but of course we have a lot of, it's, an, it's been an interesting month still. We're still talking about truckload capacity being relatively tight. We're seeing volume still relatively elevated uh, compared to previous years. We're roughly about five to 6% up over this time last year. So still a very active period of time. The most, probably one of the more repetitive questions I get is, What's happening next? You know, we've spent a lot of the last two episodes talking about what is 22 going to be like. I think at this point we need to start kind of breaking down aspects of our economic environment and the freight market just to kind of get a better understanding of some of those fundamentals. So that's what we're going to do today. But first up, Anthony Smith, we've got some stories. Zach, I also have to mention, if you see me looking down, I'm looking at LinkedIn, which is buzzing already. So huge shout out to Doug Wilkes and Jarvis Cox. Doug coming out the impact of Freedom Convoy on U.S. freight already. And I, we appreciate it. And 58% fuel increase in, since 2020. Is that inflation or policy or both? I'm loving this. Oh, already. man. Yeah. The political okay. and fundamental environments both starting to have a lot of interplay here uh, this year. And of course, I hate politics. So <laughs> I'm going to try to stay out of that as much as possible. But we have to acknowledge that it is uh, ever present in our day-to-day life. So Let's kick things off, Anthony, uh, with some news of the day, some news news-onomics. So we're still amidst earnings season, which you know is kind of my jam. Yeah. Finance major here, but I also, you know, I thought I was going to be a stockbroker coming out of college. Uh, uh, so I, I get into the equities markets quite a bit. It's fun for me uh, to kind of break down some of the fundamentals of some of these uh, businesses. So, and of course here at Freightonomics, we focus heavily on the uh, transportation side of things. And of course, we had the largest asset-based carrier in the United States report earnings this week, Knight Swift Transportation, uh, Knight Swift, Swift AAA Coopers Transportation, now that they've purchased an LTL carrier. Um, so a few takeaways here. Uh, 
Anthony, from this earnings. Obviously, revenue up, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's taking advantage of this robust environment, as we like to call it. Uh, but there's a few things here uh, that are hiding in the weeds and the bushes. Uh, and that is the fact that they shrunk their fleet, mm. Anthony. We talked about how we finally saw some fleet expansion out of J.B. Hunt. Uh, and, uh, you know, I believe it was Martin uh, that also expanded their fleet over the, or Pam, I'm sorry, Pam expanded their fleet uh, over the last quarter. It's like, it's really the first substantial increase in fleet size that we've seen uh, since the pandemic started in this environment was so tight and the revenue growth was robust as well. So it's, you know, I'm always looking for fleet expansion, contraction, and it looks like they contracted their fleet by a good bit. Uh, you know, about a thousand, or actually, no, I, I take that back. About 500 tractors came off okay. uh, the road for them uh, this quarter over quarter. So not a huge, but it's still a contraction. And everybody's talking about how capacity needs to be added. This is a, this is a telling indicator for me, Anthony, in the way that we talk about how carriers, if you listen to Thomas Wasson this morning on Freightways Now, we talk about carriers really trying to stay a step ahead of the environmental shifts uh, in the economy. Uh, They don't want to be caught holding that hot potato, having too many trucks. They can't seat, et cetera, which is probably a big case here, like seating these uh, units, increasingly difficult. Um, but they also don't want to have all this equipment sitting there when the market turns and we have too much capacity. Right. This is how you control your supply-demand situation. You don't want, you know, if you have 500 less units, those units make X amount more dollars per unit is, is really what you're trying to target. So it doesn't, uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to what everybody's kind of talking about. Right. <laughs> um, also, deadhead increases. This is something that I've been patiently awaiting. As rates have inflated, people are able to drive further and uh, without loads. So deadhead, of course, non-revenue miles that a carrier has to drive to get to a load. Uh, they don't have any freight with them. They're not getting paid for it. Uh, but also, I think this is a, uh, you know, an example of how the market imbalance is starting to have an impact. This is the reason why you increase your rates fundamentally, mm-hmm. is that you have, you have to work harder to get to freight origins. And that's what Knight Swift is probably having to do. And you can see it in our data. You know, I've talked about our outbound tender volumes uh, growing rapidly out of markets like Los Angeles, Ontario, uh, Atlanta, Dallas, year over year, up 25% uh, in terms of relative market volume. But the inbound volumes have declined in a lot of these markets. So that creates this huge gap between freight coming in and trucks coming in and trucks leaving. So it's like a, a pitcher of water. If you're going to turn it over, it's turning over harder mm-hmm. and there's less water coming in, available to come in. So that is what puts upward pressure on rates, makes capacity seem tighter than it is, even though it's it's still very tight. Uh, but even if you were to add a ton of trucks, that natural imbalance is also going to ha- be a contributing factor. Okay. So when thinking about this natural imbalance that's in place right now, I'm also thinking, like you said, the rates that are also in place that's really making this possible mm-hmm. for this for deadheads to go up mm-hmm. and you to still grow and be more profitable because rates are going up because now I can deadhead get this X amount of dollars. It makes sense now. Yeah. So when I start thinking about this high price environment, of course, it's not friendly to our net zero carbon initiatives because of course efficiency is going to drive some of those things and some of those factors as well. But 
when I'm thinking about efficiencies moving forward, because you can't operate like this because this is inefficient, mm-hmm. in a typical market where those prices aren't as elevated, are we now creating potentially bad habits or are we just taking advantage or are we seeing people take advantage of the market? Are they still going to be able to, of course, we see industry leaders that are going to be able to really operate in any kind of environment, really. Um, but are we going to start to see that maybe because I, I've know I've been there when, you know, you make a nice commission check, you get a little bit more loose with some of your spinning, you're not as efficient. Yep. Are we going to start to see that, you know, folks aren't going to be as efficient, aren't going to be as really tied down to being really truly productive and maximize their capabilities because of this high price environment? You know, it's always a thing, you know, Revenue cures a lot of ills, yeah. but it also creates a lot of inefficiency. Uh, people do get sloppy yeah. when you have a lot of margin forever. I used to actually call our operating ratio target, not a true OR, but a margin for error. <laughs> because every time you dispatch a truck, all sorts of things can happen to it. Yeah. You, you do your best to kind of put that truck in a position to make money, but delays its shipper, delays its destination, constantly, weather, traffic, all, a whole myriad, maintenance issues, Whole, all these things can come together and disrupt your ability to make money with that uh, load. So uh, Knight Swift, of course, didn't have any trouble with that, even though their, their efficiency declined in terms of empty miles. Definitely something to watch moving forward uh, if you know things change or shift the other way. But their OR declined uh, quarter over quarter from a 79 to a 74. Yeah. Uh, or I should say year over year. Uh, 79 to a 74.7%. So their efficiency improved regardless of the empty mile increase. Uh, and of course, there are two other segments here. Their logistics segment doubled in revenue. Like this is, th- that w- might be one of the biggest <laughs> headlines. You're talking here. about Night Swift? Night Swift Logistics. <laughs> uh, the brokerage arm of the company doubled in revenue. Intermodal volumes, basically flat, but revenue off the chart growth. Uh, 7.5% growth in total revenue there. Load count was actually down 22%. <laughs> I asked Nightswift because it's like, it's not a new company. It's no. not like it's like a new... Dude, it's a spot market that everybody needs to get in on. That's, that's, that's the story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, if you can't make money in this environment as a brokerage, it's, it's not a great, it's not a great sign not, for you. It's not for forward. you. Yeah. Uh, especially as rates are increasing uh, and you're not able to, ma- and they've been increasing you know, it's a known increase. It's not like all of a sudden, because that, that is a hard environment to operate yeah. in. Um, so we need to move on from Night Swift, even though I could break it down all day, because I <laughs> want to get to the meat of today and the interest rates. But uh, Covenant beat expectations. Not a lot of takeaway here outside of, yes, their tractors also uh, <laughs> contracted. <laughs> uh, you know, two of the largest carriers in the United States contracting their tractors. Definitely something to take note of. Maybe it's an employment issue. Maybe it's the fact their equipment, they can't get it replaced fast enough. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that everybody is waiting patiently to see all this capacity added to the freight market. And I'm gonna just go ahead and pull the wool back and say, hey guys, don't wait on it. (laughs) Yeah, It's not gonna, number one, if people were trying to increase their capacity to solve this problem, which these carriers obviously are not, or they're not able to, or they're not willing to, whatever the reason, um, it is, uh, it's not going to be capacity that solves it. It's going to be demand. Demand has got to come down. The amount of freight moving right now is simply not something that capacity can grow fast enough. The infrastructure is not there for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So d- don't don't hold your breath on that. It's going to be a demand side. 
contraction before capacity increases enough to hold on to this. Not that these carriers are going to want to, they don't, none of them expect this to remain this way right. uh, in terms of demand side environment. And moving on quickly into our uh, last story here, this Canadian border. <laughs> Got to touch on this. Nate uh, Tabak uh, has been, we've been talking about this one. The vaccine situation, mm-hmm. the mandates, it's getting a lot of press, a lot of pub. What the truck talked about it the other day, my, uh, the Dooner and the Dude. Uh, and my takeaway is this, <laughs> data-oriented approach. Um, if we, I, th- I believe we even have a chart. So everybody's wondering why, you know, what the capacity situation at the border is, this vaccine mandate, cr- crushing capacity, et cetera. Let's pull up the outbound tender rejection index for Canada. Um, look at that, Anthony. All-time high this it month. Is- Got to be a vaccine mandate, right? <laughs> that's n- I, that's nuts. Got to be a vaccine mandate, right? Has Obviously, to <laughs> has to be, right? Because that tender rejection index was it spiked uh, here in January. Yeah, but look, Anthony, look at the trend line. <laughs> the trend line before the vaccine mandate. It's been going up. It's been going up. Yeah, there's problems in Canada without the vaccine mandate. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, if you look at the underlying variables of this data as well long haul volumes are on the rise. Mm. And a lot of, uh, there's a very polarizing market in Canada for freight. A lot of short haul, local freight, a lot of 100 mile freight there. That's why we traditionally see those tender rejection rates low in the 5% uh, ranges because it's very a lot of city freight. Uh, but then there's this huge <laughs> long haul sector yeah. as well because Canada is a pretty big uh, country. Um, and that's been growing over the last bit, which is putting pressure on these numbers and these values. So, yes, there's probably some level of Canadian influence, like max, you know, cross-border influence here. But it's, uh, I think, the number one and two things that people were complaining about because 90% of the population, uh, as Trudeau states, is vaccinated. Yeah. Um, a, it looks like to me <laughs> that weather, <laughs> Canadian weather in the winter, yeah. obviously a problem. Uh, a lot of snow this winter and people getting sick, Anthony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about it for America. Uh, people have been getting sick and they're out of, they're not available uh, in this area right now. So I think that's having a compounding impact. And I believe a lot of what you're hearing and reading about right now, very politically charged banter. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of, of course, it's getting a lot of attention mm-hmm. versus both on a private and public sector. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of activity around it. Um, interesting enough, uh, we also saw, it, of course, stories coming out from those that were in the situation, drivers just opting to get vaccinated because mm-hmm. the option to pass up on this cash and these rates is right. just too great. There's just too much money to be made. It's like, exactly. A lot of times money talks. And <laughs> yeah, rate expansion is real. Uh, you know, one more chart I want to pull up here, the outbound tender rejection index for the northeastern section of the United States seasonal view here. There's a little unusual spike that we're looking at in January in the Northeast as well. Population density centers. This is what makes me think this is more of an Omicron variant influenced thing versus anything else. Yeah. So Northeast Canada, a lot of the population is over there right next to our Northeastern corridor, uh, nestled up on the border in Toronto and Montreal. So this just makes me, this adds to my theory that we're looking at something outside of the influence of the border crossing mandate. That's interesting. And, and, and I love that you pulled up the, of course, the 
the Canadian charts because those don't get a lot of attention from time to time. So I'm happy not a lot we're of, able. Not to, a lot of pubs. So no. You know, Nate. Nate's gotten me got me going lately. Yeah. We're, we're, we're on that. So let's. Uh, you know, we've got about ten minutes of show left, Anthony. Let's get into <laughs> let's get into the meat of the Anthony show today. Oh boy. And and and, and first off, I just I want to I want to set the table. I'll yeah. Lay the foundation. We're talking about interest rates. Uh, and what they mean to the economy. So what exactly are is the federal interest rate, number one? So interest rates are essentially the cost of money. Um, interest rate can be, you know, how much it costs to borrow money. And mm-hmm. when interest rates are low, that means money is cheap. You can make larger purchases. You can make, and this goes for both businesses and consumers. So a consumer, low interest rates, typically going to lead to lower mortgages. They're going to make purchases, they're going to buy a home, going to get on those lower interest rates and make sure that they can lock in the best deal for them. Same with car loans, they're going to lock in the best interest rate for them as well. Businesses with capital expenditures, being able to really navigate that um, environment is really going to be able to maximize um, their value of their dollar and make it go a little bit further. So really, in low interest rate environments, we typically see that there's a lot of investment going on. There's a lot of cash flow, more disposable income usually, because now you're usually paying less for goods at the end of the day that you typically would in a higher interest rate environment. Yeah. So basically you're trying to encourage investment, people to buy, which is the main reason that we see adjustment, correct? Yeah. So if they're trying to lower the interest rate, they want people to spend money. Yeah. and encourage investment. They want to buy big ticket items, things like cars and houses. I mean, thinking about uh, you know buying a house, uh, $400,000 house with an 8% interest rate is <laughs> much less attainable than at a 3% interest rate. Yeah. yeah. And that's the purpose of the Fed funds rate, right? Exactly. And, and typically, you know, with this housing environment, a lot of the concerns that I, I would hear is like, oh, man, are we heading to another 0809? Mm-hmm. And really, the, the underlying fundamentals are really a lot different. We're not okay. put, putting out, you know, these <laughs> subprime mortgages. We're not really putting people in these awful positions. We're right. essentially, what this is, is more likely is really a pent-up demand for the, um, new homes and existing homes or just buying a house. Um, that's been pent up. That's been really ramping up for the past few years because even on a housing start level, we still haven't caught up to where we were Mm -hmm. in 2007. And so when we're looking at that, I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand. So essentially those low interest rates is supposed to just make it a little bit easier instead of putting someone that shouldn't be in that position in a bad position. But also when you, when we talk about lowering the interest rate from that 8% level, you've actually made it easier for people to go out and purchase these big yeah. ticket items, which of course puts strain on the commodities and all the goods uh, that go into that. And then you could see this spike in demand, which strains all that, which puts inflationary pressure on those goods and then yeah. gets translated. So let's 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 dive into this t- aspect, uh, Anthony. So we're about to get a rate increase, mm-hmm. interest rate increase in March, uh, supposedly. So what are some of the consequences of that rate increase? Yeah, so we also have to take a step and look at what's the purpose of it. Yeah. And so right now, the purpose of that is to combat inflation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a big fan of raising interest rates in order to combat inflation, more so raising interest rates if the economy can handle it. Because it's essentially like, hey, we have this problem. 
let's use this tool to fix it. And this is a big tool. And it's almost like, Zach, you sprained your ankle going on a run or you're running up hills. Let's just cut off the whole leg and, <laughs> and get rid of it. Because um, instead of just kind of dealing with that in general, because there's all these other implications that can happen from raising interest rates or really poor timing in the interest rate increase. You can really raise interest rates at the wrong time or too much and drive into a recession. So is it worth going into a recession for to combat this inflation? And now we also have to look at what's the cause of this inflation? Is it something similar to what we've seen in the past? Is it just because we've printed off all this money and all the stimulus money's out there, now we just have all this money and now everyone is just buying and purchasing? And it's gonna be a little bit of everything, but for the most part, it's gonna be supply chain led. And so when we're looking at the supply chain right now, we're seeing that, of course, there's pent up demand. We see consumers in good condition and they're generally confident. The confidence is waning and that does take into some consideration here when we're looking at the overall economy. Mm -hmm. But the supply chain issues is really what's driving a lot of these problems because we're seeing that there's this overwhelming demand, but mm -hmm. we can't get all that demand to all these want to be or would be consumers. But the other big aspect of it is, is the condition of these consumers. The best thing these consumers have going for them right now is the jobs market. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing they have going for them right now. The savings rate has come down. It's back at pre-pandemic levels. We're looking at that now. And it, it's not like they're flush with cash. Right. Credit card usage, we looked at it yesterday on, on uh, Freight Waves Now. That's really starting to ramp back up. Right. Non-revolving credit. It's already past where we were pre-pandemic. It never really skipped a beat either way. It just <laughs> kept moving business as normal after about a month off maybe. But we're looking at it. And where we are seeing right now is, yeah, this interest rates probably should have increased, but the Fed is a little bit late to the party. A little slow. A little slow. Yeah. And I mean, they, they have been, there have been some props put out to the Fed about saying, hey, you know, they've reacted quickly. They've you know, done this, they've done that. It's great things. But really, they seem to be the last to the party on, hey, there's going to be some inflation coming. Now, the other big thing that we have to take into account, Zach, I don't know if you ever used um, a ketchup bottle before. I have. So I, Hitting that 57. Yeah, <laughs> you're hitting the 57, but sometimes you just give it everything you got. You're just going the... the, the you don't go on the back. The back. The side. You do in the back, and then nothing happens when you hit the back. And then the next thing you know, you just get this blob of ketchup all over everything. Right. And that could be what we're going to see here soon. We're looking at all these pent-up goods that are really trying to get out into the economy. Right. Um, that can really start to be dispersed throughout the economy. And really throughout, well, it's, it's happening now as we see through right. the volumes and the demand. We're seeing volumes, or, or I should say inventories picked up in December, something that we don't typically see mm -hmm. in December. Um, we're seeing in inventory start to increase. That's a telltale sign there as we start to see inventories increase. We've already seen retail sales ease in December. Now, that's not because, of course, inflation, sure. but there was a strong pull forward in purchases in October and November. But we're seeing consumers not as in, in a strongest fit, uh, position as they were before. So let me sum this up real quick, see if I understand you. So basically, this interest rate increase is too broad of an instrument, yeah. more than likely. Uh, to, to combat really what's the root cause of this inflationary pressure, which is in the supply chain. Yeah. There's all these goods uh, that are sitting out there that are ready to be distributed. They're ready. <laughs> but now if you go out after they've already been ordered <laughs> and all the damage has been done and apply this huge overriding mechanism to combat the inflation, you are now 
potentially damaging the person who actually you rely on to yeah. keep this train in a good direction and yeah. might overcorrect, right? Exactly, because earlier on we were saying what happens when you rate, and I think interest rates probably should go up, but I think they should have gone up long ago right? Um, when consumers probably were in a better position to handle it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I get, the, I understand the pause because mm-hmm. we were in uncharted territory. I'm not going to sun or Monday uh, night quarterback this, talking about Sunday's game here, because it was uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. want to make sure the economy is back on stable footing, but sure. that's probably the time where you could implement and slide in an interest rate increase, as opposed to now where savings rates down, disposable income is come down and the savings, of course, that's probably one of the reasons we're still seeing a robust consumption yeah. is because they got that buffer yeah. sitting there. They paid down their credit card debt. They saved up some cash. Inflation hasn't shown up just yet because they had all this money yeah. pent up. And now we're getting back to that break-even point again. Yeah. And right now with uh, interest rates, there's no reason to slow Ooh. homes. There's no reason to slow some of these other aspects. Man. But... Oh, oh man, we might need a part right. two here. Yeah, looks like <laughs> looks like we got some reason to think the economy might take a tad uh, step back this year.